us. We're glad that you're here. Uh, this is just very simply a worship service. We worship Jesus uh, because he is our rescuer, redeemer, king, Lord. He deserves uh, worship for all that he is and all that he's done. We do that kind of three ways. We were singing songs that uh, proclaim who he is. We also worship Jesus by studying the scriptures. We're going to dive back into the gospel of Luke now. We also uh, worship Jesus by giving, and we give because he was most generous in giving us his son. We give in that uh, small black box in the back. Many of you guys give online uh, as well, so thank you for your generosity in, in that way. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab Go to Luke chapter 6. Uh, we have Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just slip up your hand and Jim's, uh, Jim would love to give you one uh, for you to read along with. And if you don't own one, please keep it. Uh, it's our gift to you. And as you turn to uh, Luke chapter 6, just want to uh, lay before us just some uh, a prayer needs as we kind of uh, head into this thing. Um, many of you guys know you received the email uh, and, and news this week of uh, just the very difficult loss of the, the Whited family. Uh, Bill, Patty, and Corey, uh, we love them. And uh, guys, I was just totally stunned by your love uh, for them. And if, if you're not a Christian or you're visiting, we, we consider this a, this a family. Uh, so when other people weep, we weep with them. Uh, when people are burdened, we carry those burdens with them. Uh, that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do. Uh, so we feel what other people feel. Uh, not to the degree that they feel it, but in a way that in some way can alleviate and point their eyes to, to Jesus. So thank you for loving them. Well, the, the funeral arrangements are the wake is tomorrow, 2 to 4, 7 to 9 at the Vanderplatt Funeral Home in Wyckoff. And then the funeral is 10 a.m., the memorial service uh, there at Vanderplatt in Wyckoff uh, at 10 a.m. So um, just continue praying for them, continue upholding them in your prayers. Um, also, uh, I think Saturday, uh, Diane Ken Carl, uh, Diane's mom passed. And then yesterday, uh, Chris Rittinger, his mom passed. So uh, we've just got been assaulted with deaths uh, this week. Uh, it's been a heavy week, um, and, and Christ has been in it. And he's been upholding us through that. So uh, lots of needs. Just continue praying for your brothers and sisters in the room uh, that Christ would be all things to us, okay? Let, let's pray and then let's just dive into what uh, God might want this morning. Father, we first just appeal uh, to your full authority over all things and we're grateful that you are the great divine comforter. God, we're thankful that you're a high priest that identifies with every weakness and suffering and pain in ways that we never can with anyone. God, may people see more of you and your glory this morning. Holy Spirit, we need you to, to move and work this morning. We need you to open hearts. We need you to convict our minds and our souls and drive us towards you. Uh, God, thank you for just the truth of your word. Thank you for giving us your written revelation that we can study and know and that you're a God that desires to be known and desires to be found. Thank you for revealing yourself primarily in Jesus. And I pray you'd move us and shape us more into the image of the Son this morning by being together. It's for your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Uh, if you're just dropping in, here's what I want to kind of do is catch you up to speed on the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is a, a physician. He is a, a doctor. He kind of traveled with the apostle Paul and he's writing this letter to this guy Theophilus who is probably a Roman uh, citizen, a Roman uh, government official who's skeptic of the things of God, skeptic of the things of Christianity, his life and teachings. And so what he's doing here is he's going, hey, Theophilus, I want to lay out for you why you can trust and know the life and teachings of Jesus and not just trust to know him, but, but be changed by him, be transformed by him, okay? So I say this all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it. We don't want just people with more information when you leave here. We want you to be transformed by the information you receive. So, so a good thing to do is as you're listening this morning, as you're hearing the word, um, don't just try to memorize these facts and then feel better about yourself leaving. Ask, okay, what is Christ doing in you? What is he calling you into that may confront sin, that may confront idolatry, that might con confront worship in your heart? What is it that he's poking and probing at? to not steal from you, but lead you in a deeper joy and deeper life. 
Okay, remember, the God of the universe is for you. Okay, he's not a God that wants to take and steal. He wants to give generously. We see that right off the bat in Genesis. He says, hey, Adam and Eve, hey, have at it. Have everything. Just don't do this. And everyone thinks that one thing is God taking. No, he's super generous. He says, you can have all this. I'm just giving you this little slice over here, this little tree of not to eat of. And of course, we did that. We follow in their footsteps, inheriting all the original sin of our mom and dad, Adam and Eve. And so here we are sitting, needing desperately grace and mercy that can only be found in Jesus. So um, here we're in Jesus's, one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew kind of correlates three chapters of it. Uh, Luke only gives us like 29 verses. And, and I'm going to say this again because I said this last week. Um, this is not all that Jesus said. Okay, so Jesus probably gave a couple hour sermon. He's the best preacher that ever lived, ever walked. Uh, he could hold crowds better than anybody. Uh, I love that none of them were seeker sensitive. Uh, you can even just last week, we saw that he just goes after the heart. He forces you to take honest stock of your soul. Uh, and he just lays it out. This is, this is what the kingdom of God is, and this is who's in it. And he says, hey, the spiritually poor, the spiritually hungry, the spiritually weeping person who weeps over their sin, those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt outside the grace and mercy in Christ, hey, you, you lean into Christ, you lean into me, really, then you're going to find joy, and then you're going to be reviled for what you believe, right? So he says you're going to be persecuted and made fun of and mocked. That's okay, because they're seeing Jesus on you. So leap for joy when you see that. And we talked about how that is a joy, and that is a good thing. We also said why we don't have some twisted martyr complex and kind of look for and ask for more suffering. He says, when you are. On the day you are. Those, are. those are seasons. Most of us are not going to be regularly slandered for our belief in Jesus. But those days will come. And how we respond is all in a desire to woo them more towards the beauty that is in Jesus Christ. So, so we're seeing all this. He's teaching. He's at the bottom of a hill. I gave you that visual last week when I went to Israel. He's off the Sea of Galilee. The wind creates an, a natural amphitheater. It's carrying the words up to, G, up to all these people listening and hearing. Uh, and he gave a profound uh, part of his sermon last week. And this week, here's what we're going to see. And this week, not that, I mean, this is every week, but, but th this morning especially, no one escapes this text. Okay, so look, believer, unbeliever, like seeker, non-seeker, doubter, whoever you are, no one gets out of this this morning because Jesus just continues to invade your personal space. Okay, and he's, he's doing it because he loves you. He's doing it because he wants you to take an honest assessment of your soul. Okay, he's going to reveal that here. And I said, I don't believe what Jesus is teaching is just ethics or morality. He's teaching salvation. He's teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We saw that last week. This is who's in the kingdom of God. This is who is saved. This is who's made new, right? This is the person who's spiritually humble, spiritually aware of their need for grace. Not the spiritually proud, not the spiritually rich who thinks they have all that they need, doesn't need Jesus, not the spiritually full who doesn't seek after the righteousness of Christ, you know, not the one who's just loved by everybody, liked by everybody. He says, no, the, the spiritually poor, the spiritually hungry, the spiritually weeping, reviled, persecuted person is the one who knows me. So here's what we're going to see this morning. He's going to move to, okay, whether you know you're in the kingdom of God, that's what we saw last week, to how people see you and view you, to now what that produces in you, okay? So the text he's reading this morning is just what's going what's, what's to be produced by the man and woman who's been so transformed by the grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And, and these, are, these are tough to swallow, Okay, and then, and then at the end, you got to stay with me because I'm going to give you the fuel for all of this, okay, the good news and all this. So, so we're going to walk through this, take some self-inventory, and then we're going to see what God calls us to. And here's what it's going to produce in you. Um, transformed heart, mind, soul in the gospel of Jesus Christ produces countercultural, impossible 
dying to your self-love. Not kingdom of man, worldly, kind of get what I want back, you know, contractual, hey, you're in this until you screw me over, and then we screw me over, I don't love you anymore. This is, this is mind-altering, gospel-shaped love. Okay, this is what is produced. This is what the Holy Spirit empowers believers to do. Verse 27, pick it up, this is what Jesus says. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Okay, most of you want to leave now, right? <laughs> Let's just walk out, walk out the door. Love your enemies. No caveats here. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Okay, first, out of the gate, Jesus narrows his audience. And he says, okay, hey, before I was just talking to everybody, kingdom of God, kingdom of man, now I'm talking to those of you who will hear. That's spiritual understanding. Okay, he's talking to the believers. He said, hey, those of you who have been regenerated, those of you who the spirit of God has opened your mind to the glories and goodness of my grace and kindness, okay, hey, listen up. This is you. And maybe there are others, others you hear, right? You, you close your ears when you walk in the door, right? You don't really want to hear. You don't really want to listen. So he's going, okay, those of you that want to hear, those of you that want to listen, those of you that want to be driven into deeper life and deeper joy, hey, pay attention. And, and then he says something that is just counterintuitive to uh, all things that we understand. He says, love your enemies. So... Your awareness of your sin and total reliance on Jesus will produce in you being known by, not just that you, you hate your sin and want to walk in the light, but that you love people and not just people, you love your enemies. Now let's just take some honest stock for a minute. Okay, who, who's the, that's just the word for antagonist, the antagonist in your life. Who, who harms you, who slanders you, who speaks wrongly about you, who despises you, who, who, who pushes things, half-truths, lies. Who, who is it that is the enemy in your life? And don't let this be like some hypothetical, ethereal, like, well, I'm not really sure. No, see their face. Okay, right now. Boss, coworker, spouse. Kid, family member, friend, neighbor, who is it? Not audibly. <laughs> yeah, you all start, this is great, get my laundry out. No, just, just, just keep it in, keep it inside. Right? Who, who's, who's your enemy? Who is it that just causes you the most pain, the most grief? And I love this because what, what Jesus is showing you is that when you've been so transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, uh, you don't become a sectarian and, and huddle up like a monk and don't talk to anybody. You actually initiate. You're going to engage the life and mind of people around you. You're not going to try to retreat from people that don't like you. You're going to actually walk into the hurt and do something gospel-shaped in it. Now, here's what you got to get to. This is all in hopes that people see that you and I have been bought by Jesus. He's going to say all the way at the end, we're going to get there. He's going to say, this will testify that you're sons of the Most High. This will reveal that, that people know you as a Christian. Okay? So one of the most profound ways you're going to demonstrate you've been changed by the gospel is the way that you love, the way that you speak, the way that you act, and the way that you pray for people who don't like you. That's weighty. And so here Jesus is showing that we engage people, we engage the kingdom of man with hopes of them seeing, not you, not you as a good neighbor or a faithful worker, but that they see Jesus. They see crazy grace. 
They see crazy kindness and mercy. So Jesus says to you and to me, love your enemies. That's just a cultivating an affection for them. Uh, you're growing in love for them, not hatred. That's what's happening in your heart. And as you, you think about uh, your enemies, I also want you to know he's speaking to, and we could roll it into the church, but he's speaking to people who do not know Jesus. So I'm going to people outside the kingdom of God. Those who don't have a regenerate mind. Those who don't see Jesus as beautiful. Those who don't love the gospel. Those who don't love the things of God. Those who don't love the scriptures. And Jesus says to us, hey, true disciples, hey, those who are actually following me, not those who claim to like Jesus or go to church or, you know, just attend all the events or do all the retreats, like, like true disciples, hey, love your enemies. Why? Because it's not normal. <laughs> like, this is going to mark you as otherworldly. I mean, look, the, the, the basic mantra of the day is, okay, love those people that kind of coddle you and care for you and speak well of you. Man, don't love those people that despise you, right? The workplace, man, hate them, revile them. No, they don't deserve that, right? They don't deserve kindness. Your nasty neighbor, they don't deserve you to even pay attention to them when you pull in the driveway. You put the large fence up, you put tasers out, you get inside, hunker down. I don't want to talk to Alfred, John, I hate them, right? Like, you don't engage them. Your boss, it treats you like second class. But you, you work, he doesn't deserve me to work well. He doesn't deserve me to work faithfully, right? That person that slanders you with words and talks about you, they don't deserve me to reach out to them or talk to them or show kindness to them, right? Totally upside down, right? The upside down kingdom of God. And this is amazing. He's simply saying the antagonist who harms you, causes you injustice, grief, stress. Jesus says, love him. Love him. And now here's what's really important to get. Um, this was so countercultural to the people of Israel listening, especially. Okay, because what had happened was you had this, this, this Judaistic belief, okay, that kind of got intertwined with this kind of hybrid understanding, okay, this, this kind of hybrid belief of this wacky understanding of with man's innovation and human tradition that said, hey, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Okay, so really what it meant was, hey, those who kind of treat you harmlessly, that's your neighbor, so love them. Hey, those who despise you, hate them, they're your enemy. Okay, so understand, when Jesus steps into this space, he's got these crowds there, and he says, love your enemies. Understand, that was straight up offensive to them. They go, love your enemies, that's immoral, that's not right. Right, vengeance was virtuous to most of those listening, to most of those who had been taught a certain way, right? So, so as he's saying, love your enemies, what they were listening to was something that was countercultural to what they had been taught. So, man, no, don't love your Arab neighbor. Don't love the Palestinian terrorist. Don't love the oppressive Roman government. Hate them. Despite, man, they were taught to even hate those who didn't hold up to laws and traditions. To condemn them. Why do you think most of the believers were thrown out of the synagogue and whipped and beaten? Because they believed a different law. In a different tradition. And so um, further, you can keep looking at all this. There was this popular belief in the Jews that, that they were kind of um, the ones responsible. It was passed down to carry out God's vengeance on those who were wicked. Okay, so what you have is you go to like Deuteronomy 23 and you look all the way back there. You have God basically using the people of God of Israel kind of as instruments to wipe out wicked nations, right? 
Okay, so, and sometimes he would use Israel, but he used a lot of nations, right, to, to, to pronounce judgment. But here's, here's what they missed. They thought somehow that got passed down to them. So on a personal level, we enact vengeance. We, we despise those who despise us. We criticize those who criticize us. We hate those who hate us. No, they missed Deuteronomy 32 where Jesus comes along in the same kind of stream of thought and says, no, vengeance is mine. Like, I'm the one who judges. I judge whoever I want. <laughs> like, like, you don't carry it out. You're not the one who acts unjustly. Not one time in the Old Testament will you ever see Jesus on a personal level say, hey, revile for those who revile you. Just pronounce evil on those who pronounce evil on you. You never see it. Now, now God can do whatever he wants. God will do that. And God will use whoever he wants. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, rightly says this. The wars of Israel were the only holy wars in history, for they were wars of God against the world of idols. What he's rightly saying is God had established Israel as like this theocracy, right? These, these people of God who he did use as instruments of his justice, but it was never meant to be on a personal level. God never once permitted evil on a personal level. And that's why, that's why if you read Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, same sermon, what does Jesus say? You've heard it said, hey, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's rabbinical tradition. He knows these people have heard this. He's going, yo, I know what you guys have heard, and I know that there's going to be impulses in you to respond differently from how I'm telling you to respond, but I've got a different system. He is flipping the entire Judaic system on its head. His kingdom is upside down to natural man. Natural man says love is self-protective. You don't inflict pain on me. You don't touch me. It's evasive. But gospel kingdom love says I'm going to invade this space where you don't like me, you don't love me, you hate me. I'm going to bless you, curse you, pray for you. These people are like, this is up to the polar opposite to what they had been taught. Jesus knows that. He's teaching a new way of living, a new covenant. This is so beautiful. So Jesus steps up and says, no, 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 the kingdom of God. I know what you've been taught. I know what you've heard. No, the kingdom of God, love your enemy. Pray for those who abuse you. Love those who curse you. Now, just two questions we're asking ourselves, right? One, how do we do this and who are they? Okay, Jesus answers it right here. I love Jesus because he always gives you the answer, okay? Uh, look, how you act, you do good to those who hate you. This is, this is to act benevolently to them. And what you're doing, you're doing what is ultimately good. This is all about the ultimate good, greatest good, which means ultimately how are you going to cause this brother or sister, this, this person to know the saving work of Jesus? Okay, that, that's the good you're doing. How am I creating an openness for Jesus Christ to be said from my mouth and seen in my actions? You're not just trying to be nice. This is inherent good. This is redeeming good. You do good to those who hate you. So the thought becomes, how do I do this and aim entrance to the openness for the gospel? You act benevolently. So, okay, uh, your neighbor that, that does wrong to you, go shovel their driveway, wreck their yard. So they're so confused. What, why are you? Right? The, 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 the co-worker who's gossiping about you all day, go buy him lunch. Hey, Sarah, I'd love to just take out to lunch. Your boss who treats you as second class, hey, just work harder for them, more faithfully. You're not there to please them. You're pleasing Jesus, right? That's, that's why you act benevolently, because you want them to eventually see in you something otherworldly that's not like everybody else they're used to. 
Everyone else just says, yeah, revile for reviling. But, but hey, let's, let's be different. Let's be set apart. And he says, this is what kingdom love looks like. And we're all going to be, you're going to see, this, the fuel of all this is Jesus because he modeled this perfectly. And this love is impossible outside of him. Okay, so this is so, so annoying when I read this this week. So annoying. Um, this affects how you speak, right? Bless those who curse you. Uh, this means you actually speak goodness into their life, even when they curse you. Uh, many followers of Jesus got this one, right? Reviled, ostracized, outside the camp, just made fun of, shamed. Jesus did this perfectly, right? He never spoke in a condemning way to those reviling him. In fact, what does he do on the cross? He prays for them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't, they don't have a regenerate mind. They, God, have mercy on them. Now, this is super hard, isn't it? When someone attacks you with words, someone maligns your character, someone gossips about you, someone talks about half-truths, somebody, that's hard, right? I'm not saying this is easy, right? To actually speak blessing to someone who hates you with their speech. Jesus is saying you're going to have to walk contrary to what you've been trained and told and brought up in. You know, there, there's such a tendency to just throw more logs on the fire, right? Why Proverbs will say, hey, don't throw more logs on the fire. You're going to create an inferno, right? James will say, hey, your mouth, the lips, the things you say is so powerful. You can set a whole fire ablaze with just, your, just the wickedness of your tongue. So he's saying put water on the fire. Don't, don't keep speaking cursings. You're not doing what, what Jesus is asking, what Jesus has modeled. You cause them to ask why. So what, what's your speech like? I mean, how do you talk about people? Do you just dishonor them? Do you slander them? Do you speak negatively about them? I mean, because you know what you're doing? You're not wooing anyone to Jesus. You're not, you're not wooing anyone to a different world or a different kingdom. They're going, well, yeah, I expect that because that's the way everybody else. All of a sudden, you start speaking positively, positively about those who don't like you. You start speaking positively about that boss that every day you come home, all of a sudden your wife's going, wait, wait, Jeff, what happened? You're, you're speaking kindly about him. You prayed for him today? But he did, but, right? This is a good, healthy marriage tip, right, in counseling. I mean, just ways that we practically do this. He's, he's saying this is just what comes out of a transformed heart. Finally, I love this, pray for them. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you presume upon your salvation in Christ? Here's what I mean. Is your first inclination, your first thought with your enemy to think they don't deserve mercy? They don't deserve grace? But me, I do, right? Have you seen my rap sheet? Not as bad, right? Kind of clean. I got 40% on the test, not 30 like them. And so all of a sudden, you just get angry, you get aggressive, you hate. Instead of praying for them because you know you don't deserve the grace and mercy you've been shown, so you start praying they receive the same thing that you don't deserve. Like, do you pray for them? Is that the first thing you think of? It says a lot about the temperature of your heart. It says a lot about how the gospel is actually profoundly at work in your life is your immediate reaction to those who hate you, curse you, do wrong to you. Do you pray for them? Or do you actually kind of want them to experience pain, right? Do you kind of get some sick, twisted, satanic joy out of seeing them suffer and kind of mulling it? Yeah, and you, lo you love just kind of forcing the knife in. It's not gospel. It's not Jesus. 
Jesus says, you, you pray for them. Some of you in here, pray for those who abuse you. Some of you guys, you're identified by abuse. That's not your identity if you're in Christ. Christ lavishes kindness, lavishes love, lavishes mercy, so we demonstrate that to others. Ab- being abused does not identify you, holds no power on you. So you don't react that way because you, something's been done to you wrongly. You act how Jesus treated you, which is when you didn't deserve it, he showed you grace and kindness in the cross of Christ, right? Let me, let me, just, let me just say this. We, we see this all over the place, right? You see this in Jesus, then you see it, man, in Stephen, Acts 7. Have you ever read that chapter where you're like, this guy's being pummeled with rocks? You want to talk about praying for someone in the midst of being mistreated? He's getting pummeled with rocks, and he goes, man, God, just in his last breath, he goes, man, please don't hold this sin against them. Father, just forgive him. He's modeling Jesus. He's the first martyr. doing. I mean, that's praying for those in the midst of being mistreated. Now here, let me, let me encourage you, because this is something I, I practice and I do, and it helps me so much. I promise if you commit to praying, you get that visual in your head we talked about, who's your enemy, who's your antagonist, you pray for them every day for a week, I promise your heart will change. I promise. I promise. You'll begin feeling things for them that you don't even want. Man, I want to go, like, get them a Christmas gift. Why? You know, like, it's just, it's just weird. Like, you start just feeling these things for them. You're going, man, I want to go knock on the door. I want to check in. I want to see how they're doing. All of a sudden, you start acting otherworldly because your mind is set on the divine, on the highest. Colossians 3, where Christ is seated. You, you know what he did for you, and you know how he prayed for you, and you were an enemy of the cross. So you just go, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for them. And you keep doing that. You persist in that. I promise you, your heart will change over time. I mean, Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's God. Right, so he's giving you things that we should listen to if you find yourself in that space. So Jesus gave these things that, that we do, that we initiate. Look at how we act, verse 29, how we react to these things. These are things that just come on you. You can't necessarily uh, defend. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Okay, understand, okay, everything Jesus is saying is in hopes to win them to the beauty of the cross of Christ, okay? Everything he's saying, everything in this is so that they will see that your sons are the most high. That's his desire. That's his goal. Okay, so, so, so here's what he is saying. He wants us to be revealed that we're part of the kingdom of God. So you're marked not by selfishness, but selflessness. The first one he says is when they strike you on the cheek, turn the other one. Um, this has been abused like no other. Uh, this is not talking about some twisted martyr complex where you're walking down the back alley with your wife and you get mugged and, yeah, mug her again. Like, that's just so, that's dumb. That's not wise, okay? That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about just, just willing on beating. He's talking about humiliation and expecting it again. He's talking about dishonor and expecting it again. Because here's what would happen. You can read later in John. They would be de-synagogued. They'd be tossed out of the synagogue for believing in Jesus. And then they would take their cloak, rip off their cloak, and they'd whip them for anyone to watch. And then they'd just slap them across the face to shame them, to humiliate them. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, when you're shamed, when you're humiliated, expect it again. As you continue to love them, expect it to come again. As they don't love your gospel and love this truth, continue to love. It doesn't mean you tolerate their sin, but it means you continue to speak the gospel of grace in love to them. 
regardless of how they scorn you and humiliate and dishonor you. Offer them the other cheek. Okay, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Oh, family gathering's coming. Oh, here's a holiday. I mean, look, for me, pastor, all, I mean, I know. You want to know what my stance is on this, stance is on this, no matter where I go. Oh, you're a pastor? Hey, let me ask you, you know. Okay, other cheek, other cheek. You know, it's just like, I know you're going to do it. It comes in different ways and forms. But if you're a Christian, it's going to come. Humiliation's going to come. Dishonor's going to come. If you're opening your mouth and stepping into spaces where unbelievers are present, actually demonstrating that Jesus is on you, then it'll happen. If there's no humiliation, no dishonor, no critique, no reviling at all, okay, then you got to ask yourself, am, am I doing anything that's gospel-shaped? I mean, do, can people even see Jesus anywhere around me? Or am I just trying to get into everybody's niche and be loved by everybody and the gospel is always kind of what people want to hear? And Well, I mean, yeah, you don't really have to believe in Jesus' resurrection. I mean, he did, but... Yeah, I mean, as kind as you believe that he existed and that he was God, that's good. You don't really have to throw yourself on his mercy for forgiveness. Just, just, just trust. And you don't have to live any differently. You don't have to submit to his rule and reign. Just, just believe what he did. Or, or what, are you, what are you doing to cater to people? Are you telling them honestly and truthfully? No, Jesus is God and Savior. He, he buys you with his blood. You're his. You, you, he calls the shots. You don't call any. And you love it because he's a good master. What's, what are you, how are you teaching and, and speaking to people, right? Um, wh- why do we do this again? Why do we offer the other cheek? Because you care more about your enemy's soul than your relationship with them. Right? Right? I mean... You, your mind is so otherworldly. I mean, th- th- look, okay, the worst that's going to happen, okay, this side of hell and heaven is him saying some things I don't like or me feeling reviled. I mean, listen, how much do you have to hate someone to, to just want to not image Jesus in the hopes that they don't hear the gospel of grace so that they suffer eternally, right? Okay, so, so he's getting at, man, you act differently because you want to be seen as sons of the most high. You want people to be wooed to salvation in Christ. So how are you going to love them so they see some crazy, relentless, radical, ferocious grace in a Savior that, that rose from the dead that they desperately need? They don't need you. They need a picture of him living through you. So we're his image bearers now, so we model that. Powerful, profound. You care about your enemy's spiritual state, not just how you feel, not just your feelings. This is hard. But Jesus knows it leads to deeper life. What a better illustration of grace. Right, if they take your cloak, give them your tunic. I mean, a lot of people are just poor. One thing they do to just humiliate Christians was take their cloak and leave them out in the winter naked so they would just freeze and suffer. Jesus did this. They took his cloak and tunic, didn't ask for it back, was hung naked on a cross. What a beautiful display of grace. He's just saying don't revile, don't seek revenge. Give to everyone who begs from you. This isn't talking about the guy who just abuses you and wants your stuff and already has what he needs. This is talking about somebody who has a sincere need. And they're not a Christian. They see you as a Christian. They, they actually have a need. They go over to you. They know you're a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom of God. And they say, hey, can, can, can I have this? Can I borrow this? And you say, absolutely. And you don't expect them to give it back. Your nasty neighbor, they really need your lawnmower. So you let them borrow your lawnmower. Even if they never give it back, give it back with no gas in it. I know it bothers you to the tilt, but you don't care. You, that's not a hill you're going to bow. It's not a fight you're going to land on. 
could flush out in a number of ways, right? Okay, so here's where it gets good. Jesus summarizes this, okay, all of these actions, right? Right here, however you would want to be treated, do to them. Okay, what's Jesus doing there in that last verse? As you wish others do to you, do to them. He's going to later in Matthew 22 say, hey, this is the second greatest commandment. Look at it real quick, Matthew 22 on the screen. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's going, this sums up everything. Love God with everything you have. I mean, passionately pursue him, know him, want him, lean into him, trust him. Okay, and, and that's going to shape in you this upside down kingdom of God love for your neighbor. The unbeliever, the person who doesn't know Christ, the person outside the kingdom of God. So this is going to be polar, countercultural to everything and all the ways that they think. And I love this. The idea here with Jesus and with Luke is this idea that you, that you love people so much that it just, it just bugs you. You can't stand that they be eternally lost. So you love them and you speak and you pray and you bless in such a way that's going to win them to salvation. And you don't care about your reputation, you care about Christ's reputation. You don't care about how you feel and your hurts and your belongings. You care about their hurts, their feelings, their belongings, their eternal state. Okay, so think about this. If, if, if you're a Christian in here, okay, and you, I mean, I mean a real one, okay? I don't mean like you just kind of know who Jesus is and you kind of show up on Sunday and you kind of say some chants every so often. I mean, you know the grace and mercy of Jesus. You know how unworthy you are. You know how much you need him. You know how much you were bankrupt. You couldn't buy and barter with him. You knew he had infinitely all that he needed. He was self-sufficient. He was fully sufficient. You were ill-sufficient. You were deserving of damnation, eternal torment in hell. Okay, if you, if you see that and Christ loves you as an enemy of the cross, demonstrates love, saying, hey, I'll take your place, I'll hang for you, I'll bear the wrath, I'll rise again and empower you. If that's you, okay, and that's been done to you, then if you were someone and you know that they don't know that, then how are you loving your neighbor as you would want them to love you? What is the one thing you'd want to know? If you were unregenerate and you lived next to a Christian, swap places. I mean, what would you want your Christian neighbor to say or act like? Man, I hope you'd feel, man, I hope that they would engage with me and live in such a way that caused me to ask questions and engage with the gospel and open doors. I mean, wouldn't you want that? That's one of the the most basic ways you can love your neighbor as yourself. As you're going, man, I know what I've been given in Christ, so why would I not want an unbelieving friend to do that to me? So why am I not doing that for them? Because if I'm really treating them the way I would want to be treated, that's the best way they could treat me. Jesus summarizes in verse 32. He's narrowing this all down for us. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? He's just going to show what this looks like and how crazy it is. For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those you expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Listen, kingdom of man love is just selfish. the sinful human soul is so tangled with emotions and reasons and motives that there's never really anything done with a truly pure heart. There's something vying for something back. It's always difficult to just 
love those who don't love you. So he goes, man, if you just love everybody who's nice to you, if you just speak well about everybody who speaks well about you, if you only pray for those who you feel really close to and who love you and pray for you, I mean, how are you marked out at all as otherworldly? How are you seen at all as being a part of the kingdom of God? You're just living like everyone else, and so he's going. This is going to testify to something outside of you. So the world says, I'll love you, I'll bless you, I'll care for you, I'll lend to you, as long as you don't abuse me, as long as you don't harm me. The moment you get off, I'm out. That's contractual love. That's worldly love. That's kingdom of man love. Kingdom of God love is covenantal love. I'm going to love you, pray for you, encourage you, bless you, even when you go amp and you go wrong and you harm and you abuse and you slander. That's kingdom of God love. I'll persist in bearing with you and loving you all in the hopes that you would see Jesus as beautiful. That's his primary hope. I love you regardless. Because, and here's why I say that. Some of you guys might be thinking, um, this is just like a universal law for all religions, right? Like, I mean, this is just what, okay, so, so here's what you have to understand. It's not. Um, almost any religious system, philosophical system, uh, it'll always be said in not the positive way that Jesus says it, but in the negative way. So, so don't do to anybody what you don't want to be done to you. And you could just read philosophers, read historians, read even some of the Jewish rabbis. Let me just read a few of these for you guys. Confucius, he said, hey, what you don't want done to yourself, don't do that to others. Epictetus, the Greek philosopher, very famous guy, hey, avoid suffering yourself and don't inflict it on others, and that will be done to you. The Stoics, they were out of the Hellenist group. What you don't want to be done to you, hey, don't do it to anybody else. Do you see what all those things have in common? Just don't do and do whatever you want back. Okay, here's the thing. That is the universal worldly principle of love, and it will always fall short of Christian, kingdom of God, gospel-shaped love, because Jesus is saying something different here. Because the universal worldly principle of love says it is self-protective, it is self-glorifying, I want you to do every, I'm going to do everything, I'm motivated by anything that will give me comfort, make me happy, and no one infringes on any hurts, any harms, any curses, anything like that. But Jesus says, hey, love even when they don't do what you want, persist in it. Like you're not loving to receive love back. You see that positively? See how he's saying that? Like, you're going you're gonna to love as you want to be treated. And then when they don't treat you that way, keep loving. Okay, universal worldly system says, hey, love how everybody wants to treat you back. As soon as they stop, you stop. Very, very different. Very different type of love that Jesus is talking about. And don't miss that word benefit. Okay, that's the word for grace. What benefit is to you? What benefit is it to you? What credit is it to you? What, what grace are you possibly showing when you just love everyone who loves you? This is evangelistic love. This is kingdom of God love. How does that reveal your mind? Um, maybe some of us, and I'm speaking to myself here, okay? I'm in the camp with everybody. Huddle in. Okay, Mike's not outside right now. I'm in the camp. I'm not outside it. I know often, if you were like me, 
I care much more about my relationships or my friendships than my actual friend. Right? Like, like I care much more about just keeping the friendship solid with the unbeliever too, just keeping it harmonious, right? But, but what I'm saying by default is I don't actually care about them. Because maybe sometimes the way that you can most profoundly actually love your friend or the, that relationship is by engaging in such a way where you actually start sharing the good news of Jesus. Maybe loving them in a way that's, that's countercultural, right? Maybe that, that, that's where the rubber starts to meet the road. I mean, what do you really want? Some of you guys have friendships that, with non-believers, and that's all you want. You just want it to be happy. You want it to be good. You don't want to ever infringe in some awkward conversation. You don't want them ever to feel offended, you don't, right? He's going, no, you've got to care about them. You've got to care about their soul, like their eternal destiny. So how you now operate in that may look a little different. The ways you talk, the ways you speak, the ways you engage may look a little different. And the ways all to wanting them to see the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's land the plane and get to the fuel in all of this. Because these are all things that we're called to do, called to be. Jesus ends it with the point of everything, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He is merciful even as your Father is merciful. Why love your enemies? The way to read that is, they will then know you or see you as a son of the Most High. You'll be demonstrating that the gospel of Jesus Christ has so pierced your heart that it's brought you down from arrogance, self-centered and pride, and made you humble and other-centered and God-centered and not self-centered. So then they'll see you as a son of the Most High. They'll see you as, clearly you're a, you're a citizen of another kingdom. You're not from here. Right, I mean, all of a sudden now, you are living counterintuitively how the rest of the world lives and loves. And anyone who's around you who sees that or gets wind of that, even the unbeliever will say, okay, if there's a God who exists, he knows him. If this gospel of grace is true, he's clearly been penetrated by that because look at what's happening in him. Nothing about what he does is natural. Somebody mocks you, jabs you, persists, love, pray for so they go, He's one of his. He's not from this world. He's got a different mind. He's got a different heart. He sees, he sees people differently, right? Now let me, let me end with this, okay? Here's what we all have to get or all will be lost, okay? Okay? From, from this point on, if you miss this, everything you just heard, everything that you understand will be lost, to love like this is impossible. You can't do it. Go try. Muster it up. Right? I, mean, I know some of us are like, man, we're so ready. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do this. Do. I'm not negating any of these commands of Jesus. They're right. They're how, that these things should mark us. These things should be in us. They should flow through us. People should see us this way. But you can not. You are absolutely incapable of loving this way. You can go maybe 12 seconds before your sinful twine motivations and feelings and thoughts get mixed in with just the depravity of your soul where you start doing things out of other wants, out of other reasons, expecting back in return. You can only last so long. Okay? 
here's what's beautiful. Here's what Jesus is doing in the midst of all this. Here's, what's, here's the, the shadow behind all of this truth that Jesus is preaching is he knows that it's impossible to love like this. He knows there's no 10-step programs to loving your enemies and then you'll be good. He knows that. There's no class you can take. What he's doing here is he is foreshadowing in this sermon the very ways that he himself will perfectly do this. Who will perfectly and ultimately demonstrate this divine love that will transform you and be the fuel for you to possibly live this way. Okay? So, so that's what he's doing because um, the kingdom of God is not about necessarily trying to be someone but belong to someone. Okay? Okay, so yes, yes, you want to live like Jesus walked, but it's about belonging to him. So if you belong to him, okay, once you understand the divine crazy love, okay, that he loved you and only then could you possibly horizontally extend this type of otherworldly love to anyone. Okay, you gotta, you got to see that and fix your eyes on that every moment of every day. To possibly love your enemies, give everyone who begs of you, expect nothing in return, love those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. And, 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 and here's why. Because uh, the scriptures will teach that, that you and me, all, all of us, were enemies of God. Okay? All of us in our sin, right? You, he had absolutely no reason to, the scriptures will say, demonstrate love to you. You were in your sin. You wanted glory for yourself. You wanted to play with his stuff. You didn't want him. You loved walking in your sin. You loved the darkness. You didn't like the light. You loved making much of you and not making much of him. And everything that infringed on your wants, your likes, your self-glory, he would chip away at you. Didn't like it. So you, you ran from that. Going, I, I don't want you. You're not good. You're not my treasure. You're not anything glorious. I don't see you as saving. I, I love my sin. I love just relishing in me living this way. And then what does God do? God pursues his enemies, right? Enemies of the cross, the scriptures will teach. And he goes to that cross and says, hey, while you're an enemy, I'm going to demonstrate love. And I'm going I'm to take all, and, and when God inaugurates Jesus walking to the cross to be crucified for sin, to take on the wrath of God, they, they mock him, they jab him, they revile him. Guess what? We all joined in on it. No one escapes that. We all were part of the mocking, part of the jabbing, part of the cursing, part of the reviling. What does he do? He never, never one time reviles. Perfectly, right? We stripped him of his cloak. We spat on him. We slapped his face. We shamed him. What does he do? He just, he just prays. Forgive him, forgive him, forgive him. And we beat him and we beat him and we beat him and he just demonstrated divine, perfect, unadulterated gospel love that only the God of the universe could possibly show to an enemy of the cross. And then what does he do? Right before he breathes his last breath, he says one of the most profound sentences in all of scripture, it's finished. What is? I mean, I mean, the full wrath of God's been poured out. It is, it is done. I've now given you, okay, every reason, no matter how much shame comes on you, no matter how much injustice is poured at you, no matter how much slander is thrown in your face, I have now given you reason to love your enemies and pray for them and bless them and not hate them. Why? Because then he shows further, I'm going to rise again because you can't pull it off on your own. You need Holy Spirit-filled power. You need a resurrected Christ, so he resurrects. And then he says, hey, I'm going to empower you with this, so you are now able to do this and walk in this. 
You can't pull this off. This is why in order for you to love like this, you need this. You, you are incompetent without the perfect, sinless Son of God being slaughtered for you, taking the wrath of God, rising again, so that you could walk in a glimmer of this love. To, to possibly be an image bearer that woos people and shows people the profound grace and mercy you've been given in the cross of Christ. So people say, how great is Jesus? Well, how profoundly has their heart been pierced by grace and kindness and mercy? Listen, your lack of love is the first indicator that you don't understand at all what you've been given in Christ. So maybe you need to keep sitting there and keep sitting there and keep sitting there until the gospel brings you down from a really unhealthy place. So you can view people the way that Jesus wants you to understand and view them. For the glory of his name. So he's worshipped. Um, guys, the goal leaving here is not to love our enemies. It's a byproduct. The goal here is to see the loving of God in Christ towards us when you were an enemy. When you were blaspheming him, when you were cursing his name, when you wanted nothing to do with him, when you slapped him on the face, when still daily we rebel in our sin and wander to other things, he continues to demonstrate love by doing what he modeled. Profound. So we want you to just see that love. I mean, I mean, see it. Like, look at it. Like, like don't just... I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. I feel like someone, we just, we just think about it in like ethereal terms. I want you to see it. Like I want you to see him taking your sin. Like I want to see, you to see him taking the wrath of God towards your sin. I want you to see him as you're at the foot of the cross, spitting, slapping, slandering. See it. And then be transformed by it. And then walk differently because of it. I mean, I mean, what is the greatest thing you can do when you're confronted immediately with Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, is go there right away. Just go there. And you know what happens? You start loving your enemies. You start wanting to pray for those who curse you and love those who abuse you, right? Because you have no excuse not to. Because Jesus did it to you. You know, uh, maybe some of you guys listen to this sermon like Gandhi. And you say, you know what, I... I see all this, I hear all this. Jesus is just a really good teacher. He's a great moral truisms for life. I, I do want to live differently. I, I do want to be a good person. I, okay. Um, the Bible primarily and ultimately is not about Jesus' teachings. It's actually primarily about his person and work. Okay? So, so you've got to get that, that Jesus Christ went to the cross when you were an enemy and suffered for you in your place and was your substitute for you and took on the sin you deserved and became righteousness. You became righteousness because of him gifting that to you. And now you walk in newness of life as he gifts you the Holy Spirit. It's not just about knowing Jesus' teachings. It's about seeing his person and work. All these things ultimately point to that. And that's the goal. That's what this book is about. That's why we love Jesus. Because we see that God who went and loved enemies of the cross so that we could now love our enemies who, instead of cursing us, gave us life and blessed us eternally in a new kingdom. Instead of damning us, he forgave us. It's beautiful. I, I love how just that last text, um, 
he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father's merciful. Is that not what God has done? Uh, he gives kindness. He, he, he gives us what we don't deserve. Grace, mercy, blessing, love. Um, he's merciful. He withholds what we don't deserve. Condemnation, punishment, destruction. Uh, may God help us to love like him. Let's ask him. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you that you're a God who loves his enemies, uh, that we have no way of escaping that. Uh, as we see the cross of Christ, we see that you've done that. Um, we thank you, God, that you are a God who does good to those who hates you. you. You let the rain fall on the unjust and the just. God, you give good gifts. You give the gifts of sex, wine, food, clothes, air, oxygen, life, sunlight, rain on the just and the unjust. God, no one is, is from escaping these truths. We, you bless those who curse you. You even demonstrated that in the person of Jesus. You, you prayed for those who reviled you. God, you let us take your cloak and you gave us your tunic as well. You turned your other cheek and let the humiliation come. God, you never expected anything in return. You loved your enemies. You loved those who cursed you. God, may we be people that, that does that. God, we are, we are in desperate pleading for the Holy Spirit of God to do this. God, we, can, we cannot do this apart from your Holy Spirit that guaranteed us the kingdom. God, we need something outside of us, God. Our lives, our hearts are so intertwined with selfishness and other desires and manipulation and wants and loves and glories. I pray we just see you hanging, see you taking, demonstrating divine love. God, I pray for those in this room this morning who, who don't know Jesus, who don't want Jesus, who don't see you as good and loving and saving, that you would give them ears to hear, eyes to see. That you would speak this sermon to them in a way that illuminates their mind and they're able to understand. So that they would repent of sin and joyfully pursue and follow you, seeing that you took all that was necessary, you paid the debt in full so they could walk in grace. Fathers, we remember what you did as we take the Lord's Supper, as we remember your broken body and shed blood. May we find it extremely sweet this morning. May we thank you for it. God, help us to live as you've asked us to live, only by looking at you in the way that you lived in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.